This episode is for pitchers and parents. What do college coaches and pro scouts look for in a pitcher? Surprise, surprise, it's not what you think. Get the answer straight from former pro pitching coach and current college coach Larry Owens in Season 4, Episode 14 of The Fix. Okay, Season 4, Episode 14 of Baseball Pitching the Fix, featuring baseball pitching motion troubleshooter Angel Borelli. I am your host, Joe Janish. This is the final episode of Season 4, and it's going to be a good one. Uh, we have a special guest, Larry Owens, head baseball coach at Bellarmine University in Louisville, Kentucky. That's a Division II school in the Great Lakes Valley Conference. They're coming off a spectacular season, 34-21, and 21, including 20-8 and 8 in the conference. They made an appearance in the NCAA tournament, and Larry, who's been the coach at Bellarmine since the fall of 2013, has a little bit more on his resume. Before coaching at Bellarmine, he spent seven years as a minor league pitching coach in the Chicago White Sox organization. Before that, he was an area scout for the Boston Red Sox, and before that, he spent 11 years coaching at the Division I level. Some of the schools included University of Memphis, University of Louisville, Austin P, Missouri State. And before he was a college coach, he was drafted by the Atlanta Braves and pitched for a year in the Atlanta Braves organization. So this is a guy with tremendous experience, and we are so excited to have his perspective to share with you on the show today. Angel? Hi. How are we doing? We're how are we doing today? Doing great, and I'm so excited. Hi, Larry. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We're excited. We are great. Oh, yeah. I am, too. All right. Thanks so much, Larry, for coming on. Your wealth of uh, experience, it's just a tremendous asset to, to all the coaches who are listening today. And um, I really thank you for, for coming on. Well, it's a pleasure. Uh, and I hope I can be of some help to someone. I'm, it's just it's just really cool to, to be on the show. And uh, I, really, I really appreciate the opportunity. All right. So, Angel, I think we have a few interesting questions for Larry. I, I'm going to let you kick this off because I know you have some questions, I think, from your pitchers, right? Yeah. So, Larry, the purpose of this show for me is, you know, of course, I work with pitchers all day, every day, and I don't just do singular appointments. I, in a sense, sometimes engineer them for years and years. So when they get to a certain level, they're asking, they're saying to me, Angel, you know, what's more important? You know, how, how do I need to be? They're, the questions that pitchers have when there are juniors and seniors in high school going to showcases, when they're college and they're trying to go from a junior college to a four-year, or when they're, when they're going to be draft eligible and they're pretty sure they're going to get drafted. There's so many questions and what I wanted today's show to be about is to not just answer those questions for the pitchers, but also to include some stuff that parents need to know about and to think about. And the first question I have, because I know in my business, and I want this show to be real. When I work with a pitcher, especially when he comes to me the first time, it might be the first time I'm seeing him, which might be the same as you if when you're a scout or going out uh, to find somebody for your university team. You see somebody just one time for the first time. Sometimes as a human, we get vibes from people. And sometimes I'm like, wow, I can't wait to work with this kid. <clears throat> And in other times, there actually will be flags that go up. And I'm like, hmm, sometimes the flags with the parent, sometimes the flags with the kid and his attitude. Sometimes it has to do with something I see. And I start to pull back and I go, hmm, hmm, hmm. And in extreme cases, sometimes it ends up with me not even being able to work with them. Let's say if it's so not a fit. My question to you is, because so many pitchers, when they go to these showcases, and they're showcase insane, by the way. Uh, you know, they feel like they've got to get to every showcase possible. I know people ask all the time, well, what are you looking for? What I want to know is because I want them to know, can you give me some red flags that when you see it or hear it or feel it, that it makes you either one, pull back to where you want, might want a second, third, and fourth look or where you might actually remove someone from your radar? It's <clears throat> a good question. Um, I think there are there are two areas. I mean, one is going to be delivery related and one's going to be non-delivery related, you know, uh, in regards to what a kid can do or can't do and what are some, what some red flags may be, um, with the delivery, 
what you like pitchers to do, simply put, is just throw strikes. You know, sometimes we we talk about the delivery, and then we talk about a lot of different things that will help us throw strikes. But simply put, sometimes if a kid could just simply go out there and I'm going to see how many first pitch strikes I can throw today, or I'm going to see how many times I can throw two of the first three pitches for strikes. I'm going to see how many leadoff hitters I can get. Those are all good Those are all good things for a pitcher to do, but they all share one thing and that's they have to throw strikes. So anything that would, a red flag would be anything that would deter a kid from a delivery standpoint, throwing strikes. There, there, there's some hard fixes, I think, and there are some easier things to fix. Red flags for me are two delivery things like guys that jerk their head really bad. I think that's difficult to fix. And I think guys that lock out their lead leg, I think that's difficult to fix. Uh, probably the the third toughest would be guys that throw big time across their body, meaning, you know, the right-handed pitcher stepping more towards the third baseline, the left-handed pitcher stepping more towards the first baseline where they can't get square to the plate, which all those things don't, don't produce strikes. You know, strikes, you throw strikes, that's your, that's your ability. You have good control if you can do that. You want guys that have good control because then hopefully their command will come later and their command is their ability to hit the glove. You know, hopefully the glove is always in a good spot, and if they can hit the glove, then you know you got a chance. Um, then other things that go with the deliver the, the the things that a good delivery will produce will be number one strikes. Then hopefully command will come, but then hopefully the ability to throw secondary pitches, their ability to spin the ball, and then you know obviously you want to add some sort of change up. A starting pitcher for us would have to have three pitches. Uh, that was something that we did in the minor leagues as well. It was hard for us to send a guy from A ball to double A without a starting pitcher from A ball to double A without three pitches. Um, and typically what was funny, that third pitch was always a changeup that they had to, that they had to learn how to throw typically. Um, cause the young kids always, you know, curveballs are really cool to, to learn when you're young, you spin the ball, it's going to move or break. And they think, they think that's the, the key. And as they get older, they find out it's not. So, um, you know, if, Number one, I guess it's it's kind of a roundabout way to answer your question. They want you want to have a good delivery. Red flags would be things that would that I think they're difficult fixes. The head jerk, lock their lead leg out, throwing across your body, big time, you know, a lot. I think is kind of kind of hard to overcome. Um, and then you, you know you look at other things, how their arm works. Um, you know, it came out a while back when with Strasburg and Pryor. You know, they called it an inverted W. I call it getting upside down. I, I call it. They're upside down. Inverted W is the same thing. You guys call it, I think they're late. They're not on time. You know, that would be a red flag as well. Because I, I think I did have a kid here uh, when I when I got here that did do that. We addressed it some, and um, it worked out pretty good for him. He ended up he ended up getting to play after, after college. So uh, you, you can address it. You can fix it. But, you know, if I, I, when I sign a guy, I don't want to have to fix him. <laughs> I want to sign a guy because of things I like, and I don't want to sign a guy and then bring him in and then have to change everything. Yeah, it's a lot of extra work. Interesting. Now, non-delivery issues would be parents, typically sometimes dads, coaching their kid in between innings or, or coaching him during the game or going over in between innings and talking to him and telling him what he needs to do. Uh, the kid's body language, you know, how he reacts to failure, and that's something that I like to see. I, I want. I typically want to see someone fail because I want to see how they handle it. I want to see how they treat their teammates. I want to see how they, how they handle themselves. Cause you're going to fail. You know, it's like, it's especially more, probably more so on the, on the offensive end than the, than the, the pitching side of it. You're going to fail. You just get over it, go home and throw your helmet and, you know, cry and sit in a corner or do whatever you need to do, but get it, get it out of your system because you're going to fail. And, and how you deal with it, I think it is very telling. Baseball is all about failure. It's, uh, it's in, in a lot of ways, it's a good learning experience for life because it, you cannot play baseball and not fail at some point. Absolutely. And then, you know, with the body language, how they handle failure, then uh, do they compete? Then you kind of find out if they compete, you know, and that's one of the, I think that's something that's, that's kind of a more of a buzzword or monks, you know, college and professional, you know, baseball staff or coaches anymore because of how, the way society is, the way it's, you know, microwave society, everything's you know, with the Twitter and the social media and kids don't have to talk to each other. They don't have to communicate. They, they just expect uh, to be successful in everything they do or expect all this praise. And how are you going to compete? You know, you're going to hang in there and, and be tough when things aren't going good. And, and you know, do you compete? Do you, do you get out there and just, I don't have my best stuff or my delivery's out of whack or I don't feel good. Well, how are you going to figure out a way to, 
to, from a pitching standpoint, are you going to figure out a way to get him out? You know, that's your job. <laughs> that that's essentially what you're trying to do, trying to get out. And there there are many things that go into it: the delivery, the the, the philosophy of how you're going to go about doing it, and and sometimes just you know digging in and well, I got to I got to compete today. And so you know, from a non-delivery standpoint, the parents, you know coach in between innings kids body language how he treats his teammates how he treats his umpires will he compete and and you know how does he handle failure those are kind of some red flags for me so a long probably winded answer to a pretty direct question but there's a lot there's a lot to it wow exciting information wow out of the horse's mouth beautiful yeah, I'm, I'm, I, you've got me taking notes, Larry. That's great. <laughs> and you know what? I love all the things that you said. They're so spot on. They really are. So that is awesome. So anyway, thank you for that. Larry, there's, uh, there's one thing I noticed you didn't mention, and that was a lack of velocity. You know, for someone who's <laughs> been coaching at the, you know, at the college level for it's, it's been, you know, all combined over 20 years, I guess, or close to 20 years and coaching in the, the the professional levels, you know, everyone is so focused on velocity and the radar gun and everything else. And yet you didn't mention anything about a lack of velocity. Your, your first thing that you said was throwing strikes and, and command. Mm-hmm. And I, fi- I found that really encouraging and um Yeah, and, and Larry, before you answer that, one of my pitchers, because I asked some of my pitchers, and, and I want you to address this velocity issue, so let me just segue with this question from my pitcher. So this is a great left-handed pitcher who came into high school as a freshman. Everybody wanted him. He had a really rough sophomore year things happened to him mechanics wise he declined a little injury here and there and he was off everyone's radar and his velocity went way down now during the summer he came to me we've reconstructed him he probably is one of the most gifted pitchers I've ever worked with and he's a lefty and he's big and he throws strikes he's got everything and he's as a kid he's just stellar but I asked him, I said, what do you want and what is there a question that's in your head? He says, well, you know, this thing about velocity, because now he's been on both sides of it. He was throwing hard, high 80s for a freshman. No, everybody wanted him. His velocity dropped. Nobody wanted him. And now that he's with me and we've actually cleaned up all the reasons why he lost his consistency, he has seen that how small changes can improve velocity. So I think what he was saying is I'm confused. It's sort of like they're looking at you right now and he's a junior saying you've got to throw hard you've got to throw hard yet he knows and I think he's feeling this way wow this is just the beginning for me I mean my catcher told me he was throwing high 80s in the bullpen last week so he's like this is great I can actually really get somewhere but on the other side of it I know he's thinking geez I've got you know some camps in December and yeah I'm not going to be in the 90s by then but I know I can be so he was asking me he says Angel do you think there's any way that they look at I mean is there any projectability that they look at or is it just cut and dry so we would you include that in your answer with this velocity issue and let's get this handled? Yeah, absolutely. No, the velocity is a, a hot topic as of late, of course. And, you know, it's, they're, they're, you know, in professional baseball, there are more people, you know, throwing, apparently throwing harder than they ever had before. And, you know, uh, if you, I guess, seek it and you can probably figure out a way to bump your velocity up either, you know, through maybe, I don't know. If, I don't know if artificial means is a where or like a from how you kind of train your body, or as opposed to maybe you know the delivery can also help the velocity. Velocity's you know velocity's great, and I always kind of look at it this way. You know, a, a radar gun will get you paid, and it may open up some opportunities. But radar guns don't get people out; pitchers do. And with me, for me, velocity is a great thing. It's a great attribute to have. There's no doubt about it. But I don't want to chase it or have it at the expense of possibly getting hurt or preventing me from commanding the baseball. You know, your, your 98 mile an hour fastball does you absolutely no good if you can't command it a little bit. You can certainly get away with more mistakes the harder you throw. There's no doubt about it. You can. But eventually, it's going to bite you. Uh, there was a game on TV a couple nights ago that I think kind of proved that. 
that you know velocity is not everything. You have to be able to command that. Uh, for me, velocity with good velo- with with better velocity just comes better stuff too. You know, come becomes better better secondary pitches, better sharper breaking balls. You know, probably more effective changeups if they can throw it. So velocity is a good thing, but it's not the end all. I don't even carry a gun with me. I don't take a gun with me when I go out and watch kids because number one, I'm not I, at a Division two school. I'm not going to sign kids that throw above 90 very often, if ever. They're going to develop. And so I just want to watch you pitch. I want to watch and see if you can pitch a little bit. I want to, I want to see if, you know, what kind of stuff you have, what kind of secondary stuff you have. Will your delivery allow for these things? Will you, you know, how often can you hit the glove? Those are just more important attributes to me, especially where I am. Now, if I were at a, if I were scouting again, or, you know, it'd be tough to kind of turn in a kid. If you're scouting, you're an area scout. You can't turn in a kid throwing 85 mile an hour. What's because the thing is he's he's 17, 18 right now throwing 85. What's he going to be when he's 27, 28 if he's in the big leagues? He's probably not going to make that big of a jump. It's happened. I mean, it's happened to people before, but the jump is probably not very realistic. It's a safer bet to to sign a kid, you know, 92, 94 out of high school or out of college, and then you, you, you like you mentioned projectability. You can kind of project and see what he's going to be like down the road, and, and so. Velocity, it's kind of hard to tell a kid that velocity is probably not the most important thing, but that velocity is probably one of the most important things. It may open up a door for you here or there. It's not going to get you on the field. It's not going to give any longevity. It's not going to, you know, you're not going to be a conference starter. You're not going to throw on Friday nights just because you throw 100, but you can't throw it in the cage. It's not going to help you. It's important, but to me, you know, I'd, I'd rather take a guy that can pitch a little bit. As you build your rotation in college, you have your your conference starters, and then you have your you know guys that are throwing in relief. And if you have a, if you have the luxury of having a guy at the back end of a game that can close a game for you, that's awesome. But typically, you know your better pitchers start, and your better pitchers throw at the end of the game. You if you're on a team, or if you're managing or running a team where I got to go to the bullpen, so who am I gonna who's gonna pitch right now in this situation? You'd 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 rather pick a guy that maybe matches up with the situation better than as opposed to, well, who's going to throw it over the plate. Wow. That, that, I, I don't want to make that decision. I don't, that, that's not a good place to be. You know, oh, we got the, I got this guy, I got four or five guys that touch 90 and he's over 90 and this kid does this. Yeah. But can they get people out? Can they throw it over the plate? Mm. Um, and then, and then that's where all the other things come into play too. You know, what kind of, can he compete? Can he handle some failure? Is he going to work at it? Is he going to get better? Does he have a delivery that is conducive to doing, you know, to throwing the ball over the plate and then eventually commanding the ball. You know, so you, you kind of tie it all together, you know. You may, you, may, you may walk away from a guy with, you know, some velocity just because you may be scared he's going to hurt himself. Ah, he gets he's too upside down or he crosses his body too hard to fix. Boom, I'm walking away. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to invest any money or any scholarship dollars in him. But so it's, you know, it, it's important. It's definitely not the most important thing for me, especially where I am right now well you know i love hearing what you're saying because you know i have said this a million times uh and this is the way i have to look at it this is the way that somebody who does the work that i do you know i have to have a philosophy that works for me in terms of how i develop these kids and i tell them if you velocity is a product or can be a product of better mechanics and if you are doing some things what's interesting to me is the three things that you talked about that were or the two the some of the mechanical things that when you see it you don't like it and you worry about it you're absolutely right those those issues you brought up with the head because that reflects something went on with the trunk with the crossing over the body which reflects the, the lower body stability during a delivery and how you're going to get your hand forward those things are things that when I see them I know that if I fix that the kid's velocity is going to go up but I'm going at it for the reason of changing the delivery correcting the things because those things aren't just pitching things they're body things we don't walk crossing our legs over in front of each other so the cool thing for me in hearing this is that my work is with the motion and I believe if you work with the motion in a sound way and you don't use gimmicks and you never violate the rules of the body or the way the body likes to move that you will do and attract more velocity into your delivery in a natural way which then keeps you uninjured and which then gives you that ability to work with your pitching the whole picture of pitching the whole strategy and everything because now you you've taken 
taken away the stress during the motion. So I love what you're saying. It's a product of a good delivery. It's not a, a thing in and of itself. And I can't wait for every pitcher to listen to this podcast, Larry, because what you're really saying is that it's a big package. To really succeed, you have to have a big package. And you have to have your head on straight to be able to see that. If you run around trying to add velocity and your delivery is not good, you really could not be seeing the forest for the trees. And that's scary. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's happening. And, it, and, you know, those are those are questions a lot of recruits are asking, you know, college coaches now. It, it, the, the, the questions revolve around basically, how are you going to help me throw harder when I'm like, I kind of laugh. I'm like, don't you, don't you want to know how we're going to help you learn how to pitch and get people out? Wouldn't you rather learn that? Wouldn't that be more important than, than how hard? I mean, sure. Absolutely. We're, we're all going to, we're all going to try and focus on it and making, getting the most out of you. I, I believe, you know, yeah, I want to, I want to command my best stuff. I want to give you my best fastball. I want to give you my best, whatever I have that's the focus it seems that everyone just wants to throw hard and and because and i get it i completely get it it's funny after coming from the pro game and then back into college again the the difference between the division two and division one you know landscape once a guy goes to a showcase and and it says 88 on the radar gun his phone's gonna ring it won't ring at 86 it'll ring at 88 you know and it's like all of a sudden, all of a sudden now he can pitch for you. You remember Trevor Hoffman? Yes. That, that guy That guy at the end of his career was throwing 85 miles an hour with a fastball and a changeup. Getting out the best hitters in the world in the most important time of the game with a three-run lead or less. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think to me that speaks volumes. You can get, you know, hitting is timing, pitching is upsetting that timing, basically. So, and then there's there's a lot more things that go into it. So that's that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to speed them up, slow them down, move, changing eye levels, in and out. All that. I mean, those are important things that a pitcher has to do. But it's kind of hard to do those things if you don't have the delivery. So which is where you come in, in my opinion, that you have the the expertise to handle and to fine tune and to kind of teach kids what they need to do, not only to produce strikes but to get the most out of their body and stay healthy yes you know i want to keep you out of the, keep you out of the training room and then we're a pitching coach like in my shoes i gotta try and have as much of your knowledge as i can but i want to help you navigate your well your way through a game because we're, we're trying to get 27 outs and have more score more runs than they do and there's certain strategies and there's certain philosophies along the way but the focus on velocity with young kids in my opinion is out of control mm-hmm. it's not in a good place yeah wow I love the way you said that the pitcher has to be able to navigate his way through all the innings he's responsible for that is uh, wow and to do that you have to have more than just the ability to throw hard sure absolutely Absolutely. wow that is fantastic Larry so and I I understand your frustration and the frustration that we have here is that the Velocity does create attention. Absolutely. There's no doubt. And that's why pitchers chase velocity. Now you're in a position at a division two school where you, you can offer scholarships and you can recruit. So what would you say to say the 15, 14, 15, 16 year old pitcher who, you know, wants to go on to college and, you know, wants to play some baseball in college. uh, And he might have that, that concern of velocity in his head. And so would, would, would you take a look going back to Angel's original question? Would, would you take a look at a kid as young as 14, 15, 16 for possible recruitment and kind of look at him and say, well, yeah, maybe he's only throwing 83 or 84, but as long as he has a clean delivery, as long as he has a good head on his shoulders, as long as he can compete, he has a, you know, the potential to pitch for me at the division two right. level yeah, we don't particularly here at the division two level need to see kids that young um it's it's trickling down um you know at the division one level now you know they're they're assigning eighth and ninth graders they're getting verb they're getting verbal commitments from eighth and ninth graders you can't sign anything any document you cannot sign the national letter of intent until november of your senior year of high school 
but they're getting this verbal commitment. And the, ver- the verbal commitment is something that's kind of came up because the, the way guys circumvent the rule. They're not allowed to talk to a kid. And at Division One level, I, I don't know the exact date. It's their junior year is when you can talk to them, basically, or slightly before their junior year. Um, so you, can't, you cannot contact a freshman or sophomore in high school. Now, they can call you, and that's how they circumvent the rule. So if I want to talk to Joe Janish, the hot prospect, and Angel Borelli is his coach, his summer coach, I can call Angel. Angel, have Joe call me. Good deal. Joe calls me. I set up something with you. You come to campus. You're on, you're on campus. You're at a camp or whatever, and I, I like you, and I offer you. And I tell you, you know, I, I could put the pressure on you, or I, I don't put the pressure on you. I could put the pressure on you and let you know, hey, I got to know before you leave, or I got to know by the end of the week. You got to tell me what you want to do for the next four years of your life, four years from now, which is <laughs> insane. So to, to, yeah, to, nuts. I don't, we don't, we don't look at kids when they're 14 or so. If I was a division one school, okay. then you'd kind of be forced to do that. And that's kind of the, you know, that the coaches don't want to do it, but they have to, because if they don't, someone else will. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, that's the bad part of it there's there's been some legislation passed with ncaa men's and women's lacrosse division one level that's uh trying to get a hold of this they passed it i wish baseball would follow it because it's trickling down to us i'm getting i've gotten emails from seventh and eighth graders in the past he had a division two school via recruit via recruiting services but still i mean yeah. to me that's just too young so for the 13 14 year old go play multiple sports go be a kid play man it's it's you don't have to do it now I get it. I get the pressure though, with all the travel baseball and the, you know, school's expensive. Mom and dad want, want some school paid for if they can get it paid for. And if it's something you love to do, it's, it's, it's a, you know, there's, there's, I see, I see sides to both of it, you know, to, to both sides of it. I see, I see the attraction, but it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't freak out about it. There's plenty of guys that have come on late. Andy Bennis at Evansville came into the university of Evansville throwing 80 mile an hour or so. And he left throwing in the mid to mid nineties, number one pick in the country in '88. You know, uh, I've had a kid, I had a kid with uh, when I was with the White Sox that didn't even pick up a baseball till he was 16. Wow. He lived in Haiti, Haiti in the Dominican Republic. He ended up playing, finishing in double or triple A. Never picked up a baseball till he was 16. So the the race that oh I gotta I gotta be in the big leagues. I, I <laughs> relax. You have time to develop. Be a kid and have fun. But the way it's structured and what's allowed is you know it's happening they're recruiting kids really 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 early and that puts a lot of pressure on a 13 to 14 year old i i I can't imagine i i would hate for my sons to have to make a decision make that sort of decision at that young of an age but it's yeah out out here in california especially where i'm at there were such great pitching pitching that there were kids as freshmen that were actually exposed just like you said to d1 schools following them as freshmen they actually were starting the conversation after eighth grade so now in this area here where i work because of that the high school kids are stressed out if they're not committed to a school, verbally committed, when they're sophomores. And now, if they're juniors and they're not committed, people are freaking out. And as you know, in the spring of senior year, tons of guys get signed but or committed, whatever the language is. But because of the early process that happens for so many of the good pitchers, the kids are under stress. And it is really sad to see a kid who's 14 or 15 look at me with those eyes going, Angel, nobody's asked me to play for them. What do you think? Do, do I need to do something? And I, it is heartbreaking to think of that and it's only because of that d1 trend to get your hands on someone early and the other kids don't they don't feel safe you know they feel like they've got to do more and i think that's what generates all this following of well if i throw harder so maybe i'll go here and i'll do this program or i'll do this and these kids end up injured from just you know trying too hard and not having their head on straight so i really hear you on that and uh, yeah and i don't think that's going to change unfortunately but i think we as coaches need to i mean this podcast larry is going to 
get into the ears of some pitchers that need to hear this. And even if one pitcher says, wow, you know what, I'm going to calm down. We've done our job. And I think that's what has to happen. We have to, the other side has to speak up on this issue. But listen, speaking of all this, I have a great question, two questions that came from Nathan, one of my college guys. Now he's a junior college pitcher. He's in his last year. He's a great pitcher. He wants to go to a four-year university, so he wants to go to some showcases. And you know, Larry, I love college guys because the difference is they take, they bring a different respect to the skill and to what they're doing. And I guess it's because of the running out of time issue. And not that high school kids are flagrant, but nobody at 15 ever thinks, you know, the world's going to come to an end or they're going to come to an end. So they don't look at it the same way. I love my college guys. I love my college guys that are wanting to go on in college or they're wanting to be drafted. They're so serious and respectful of what they're doing. So Nathan writes this question. There's two parts. I'll read both of them. He says, what is the best way to contact a coach to invite them to watch a game? Is there anything you should or shouldn't say when talking to a coach, recruiter, in regards to having an opportunity to play? Those are his questions. Hmm. Best way to contact is, uh, I like, I, I, me personally, I prefer email. I think it's I think it's easier to kind of navigate through, and there's nothing wrong with a phone call. And like you know, you spoke in the past, just be respectful and let them know of your intentions. I would I would I would stay away from having mom or dad write it. I've gotten emails from kids from their mom or dad's email, which you know it's not. I get it. I mean, it's it's not a huge deal to me. It can be a big deal to some other folks because the college coach, uh, you know, we want to see that you're growing up and you're doing things on your own, that mom and dad aren't doing everything for you, Hmm. that you're taking it upon yourself to kind of do those things. So I think there's certainly nothing wrong with mom and dad advising you and, and, and the kid reaching out for advice on how to do this. Best way to contact, email or phone call. Just and but do it yourself and try to make it personal. For me, exa- example of like my, my email when I go through email, I get a bunch of emails every day. I try to answer every one of them, but I will only answer the ones that are addressed that, that say my name in them. Uh, that I'm not getting a, a big mass email from you know via recruiting service. Hey, dear coach, uh, I would love to come play at your university. Blah blah blah. I I just if it's not if it's not directed right at me, I won't answer it. I'll just delete it. Uh, if it is to me, if they took the time to at least maybe copy and paste my name to it, <laughs> then I will I will answer it. I'll acknowledge it. But keep in mind that that's a tough way to go to reach out via email or, or phone because, you know, in a lot of cases, they're well ahead. They're, they Coaches have been out watching games and seeing players and accumulating a list of folks they want to recruit. So to get an email out of the blue of a person that you haven't seen, sometimes it's hard to get that kid to the top of the list to you know, and then you have, then you have to make time to go see them play. But before you go see them play, you would probably follow up with some phone calls uh, of someone you can trust that has perhaps seen them play that can at least, you know, either eliminate or keep that kid's name kind of at the top of the list of someone that you need to see to, you know, evaluate. Best way to contact, email or phone call. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Maybe perhaps have you, and then follow it up with maybe having someone that you, you trust, or maybe, maybe you know your junior college coach knows someone on staff at XYZ University that you you would like to attend. Have them contact them as well because that'd probably go a little bit further. Then they can speak more, you know, on the on the kid's ability and and you know, and then what kind of person they are and you know how they're going to do in the classroom, etc. Is there anything you should or shouldn't say when talking when actually talking to the coach or recruiter in regards to having an opportunity to play? You know, we're, we're all going to pay attention to what you what you're saying and how you're saying it, uh, what you should or shouldn't say, what you shouldn't do is you shouldn't bash the coach that you're playing for. I would stay away from that, regardless of how you feel for him. And I would be mindful of how you treat your parents. A lot of folks kind of, a lot of recruiters will sit around and, and coaches will kind of take notice and, you know, how you speak to and how you treat your parents while you're there. If, if those parents happen to be with you, um, you know, on a visit or, or you happen to meet them somewhere, or see them somewhere and have the ability to talk to them, you know, how, how, how do you treat them? I think it's, wide open in regards to what you what you can say if, if a prospective student athlete has a question and they don't know the answer to it there's nothing wrong with asking I, I certainly wouldn't be offended by any question now so I don't know if I've so I think the shouldn'ts would be you know how you treat your parents and I wouldn't badmouth the guy you're playing for right now
Now, would it ever be appropriate with what you said previously about, you know, he's already got a schedule, he's going around to see people. Is it ever appropriate for the pitcher to, to say, uh, can I come to you to do a bullpen at your convenience or, you know, anything I can do to make it convenient for you? Is that ever appropriate or is it, does the co- coach, uh, the scout or coach want to always come to the field and maybe see him in a game or how, how would you navigate that knowing that this guy doesn't know you from Adam and you're asking him to add something to his to-do list? Sure. Anytime the, anytime the pitcher can accommodate or make it a little bit easier for the recruiter to get out and see him, that's a great thing. Now, NCAA rules will allow, like at the Division two level, I am allowed to have prospective student athlete, their junior, senior year on campus, and they can work out. I can work them out for up to two hours. One time each of those years, one time during their junior year, one time during their senior year, basically. There are some dates and and specific guidelines to it. But essentially, yes, I can work out high school kids on my field. They can practice with my team. I could gather a group of prospective student athletes in the area and they could play my team if I wanted them to for up to two hours. Now, at the Division I level, Division I level, you can't do that. Okay. That's that's not good. I am not sure what you can do at the end, at the Division three level or at the junior colleges or uh, NAI. I'm not really hip to those rules, but I do know at Division two we can. So yes, if a, if a if a prospective student athlete can accommodate a coach and, and make it easier for them to to see them do their thing, to see them pitch, I think that's there's nothing wrong with that at all. Absolutely. Fantastic. Fantastic. Great. Well, Nathan's going to be happy to hear all this, as are many other players so i uh joe do you have a question i have another one but i i know you're i've got a burning list over there <laughs> no yeah just following up on on this question larry i imagine that you probably run baseball camps at your campus absolutely so that would be an opportunity for a pers- prospective player to get in front of you and and show you who sure. he is and, and get to meet you and that sort of thing absolutely i would check out that and and, and I wouldn't go to every single camp on the planet, but, you know, I would try to narrow it down because, you know, the most important piece to all this is your degree. Right. right. Go somewhere that offers your degree, that offers something that you would would be interested in getting your degree in. That's why you're going to college. You're not going to college to play baseball. Now, I get it that, yeah, (laughs) guess what? That's why I went to school. I went to school to play baseball, but I also got my degree and I understand the importance of it now. Uh, whereas I may not have understood it then, and the kids may not understand. Some do, some don't. But that's you know, pick a school that you're you're going to have an opportunity to get your get a degree that they offer the degree you like that you seek. And then yes, and and go select see if those schools are offering some sort of prospect camp. Uh, you know, our prospect camps here. I want the kids to attend that are only really really serious about attending our university. I don't want it to be just a cattle call. Come on in and we're just going to see how much money we can make. We price it, hopefully, you know, I think very reasonably. And because I want it to be something that, you know, folks that are interested in attending our university, uh, that's the kids I want to see on campus. I don't want to see you just because you want to come work out or you think that other colleges are going to be there because they're not. So now there are there are showcases around and we've done them here too where we will invite other smaller colleges on campus. Because we will we will employ them. We will we will give them an opportunity to make a little money to help evaluate players, which gives them an opportunity to see players, which gives the kids opportunity to play in front of multiple schools. There's absolute value in that as well. I just would be very particular, and you know these things can become very costly, very expensive. Just try and do your homework and try and narrow it down to the level at which you think you can play and be realistic. Uh, but you know then also narrow it down to some schools that you that you that offer your the degree that you seek. And, and I think that helps make your way through the forest, make yeah. your way th- yeah. through all the weeds and, and figure out where you're going to end up and what's the best fit for you. That's, that's exactly what I was about to say is, is, you know, a lot of kids and, and like you, I, I went to, to school to play baseball and also get a degree, you know, secondarily. But I, I think a lot of kids, when we're at that age, we're 16, 17, 18, we're thinking, oh man, I, I you know, I want to get a scholarship somewhere. And, and you, you don't really understand the big picture, which is you really, like you said, you need to go to a school that, that fits you. And there should be a lot of thought before you start sending out letters and calling coaches and going to camps and going to showcases. Think about where you, where you want to be geographically, what kind of a school you want to be at. Do you want to be at a big school or do you want to be at a smaller school? Do you want to be at a local school? Do you want to go away? Is there a place you want to be? Put all that thought, because there are so many different options. I mean, hundreds of colleges out there. It's really important to kind of figure out as 
as the student and as the athlete, what's going to be best for you. And then kind of, like you said, then narrow it down and focus rather than, you know, just throwing your hat into this big ring and, and waiting for a scholarship to come. It's, you, you probably have a better idea of doing your homework, you know, looking up the coach, meeting the coach, learn about the program, learn about the school, learning, finding out if it's good for you and then see maybe if it's a good fit for a scholarship or a opportunity to play or something like that. Sure. Absolutely. No doubt. And, and try and be realistic. If you have a uniform on, you have a chance, right? If you have a uniform on, but you don't get on the field, then you're not going to develop. So while everyone wants to go play at major, you know, power five division one schools, that's, that's awesome. A lot of people do, but you know, sometimes you may, may, may be a better fit at a smaller school where you have an opportunity to play. And then if you play, then you can develop, you could have, you could have fringy put, professional potential go to a major division one school get kind of logged down in the back end of the bull or in the middle of the bullpen and not get enough innings and not be able to perform and develop as opposed to going to a smaller school you get to develop maybe you get a little bump in velocity now a little more pitchability and now i'm a now i'm a 25th round pick you know after my senior year of college because i because i got an opportunity to play and develop as opposed to going somewhere that was a little above my skis and i couldn't get on the field it's tricky and it's it's hard to Kind of look past all the limelight and all the big places. Here's where I want to be. Well, be realistic, you know. And you're probably going to get a good sense of where you can play by the people contacting you. Right. You know, if nothing but Division two and Division three schools are contacting you, I don't think you need to reach out to Power 5 Division one school and think you're going to have a chance to play there, it, typically. Yeah, and what you just said before, it really resonates. You're better off being the, the number one conference pitcher at you know, a smaller division two school than being the 15th pitcher at Arizona state and never getting an inning because you're, you're never going to develop. You're not going to have any fun and no one's going to see you if you're, if you're never getting into the game. So that's a great point. Wow. Great information. So Larry, um, when I first started in this business, for some reason, I was working with tons of minor league players. I wor worked with more then than ever, and I was look. I was a neophyte at the time, and but I was looking from the outside in, and I was seeing what was going on, and you know how people were getting cut and they were getting moved from one, one A to C, double A, and I I started to learn a lot by watching that, and then as the years went on. I continued to learn and uh, one of the things I tell my pitchers this is a philosophy of, of for me that I hold just like I do about velocity one of my philosophies is if I get these pitchers to be clean enough and to look decent enough and not have anything funky then they'll be left alone they'll be left alone in college they'll be left alone in the minor leagues they'll be left alone so that we don't have to worry that something comes in and changes them because obviously we all know there's pitchers who go they're fine and then something happens somebody comes to them a coach does this does that and then all of a sudden they fall apart so when I had a lot of guys leaving high school and they were successful and they were going to college their parents were saying we're praying that they that they survive college and that they stay the way that they were this didn't always happen across the board there were problems things started to change they started to not have success they caught it early enough to where they could get back on track but there was this like struggle in in college with oh my gosh I can't lose what I have I can't lose how why I got here now these same guys the same group they're moving on and I know that some of them are going to be drafted because they have that kind of talent and I tell and the parents are now saying will they survive the minor league system and I try to say to them and I think this is correct listen the minor leagues the baseball is a business you know you're supposed to know how to do what you have to do before you get there don't go there thinking hey I'm going to this camp where they're going to teach me how to pitch you've got to have your stuff together before you go there and you have to produce for them and that's not a bad thing I think it becomes a bad thing when they look at it like oh well they you know like I've had minor leaguers get cut and the parents go they didn't take care of them and I'm like they weren't supposed to take care of them in the way that you're saying they are supposed to do their job could you address that issue and give information to parents and maybe to the pitchers who are heading off or will be heading off to the minor leagues could you talk about anything that can help the parents understand what really goes on and give as many tips as possible to the pitchers in terms of how they should look at this 
Yeah, absolutely. When a player first enters professional baseball, they would typically, unless it's a really, really high pick that they want to push a little bit. The example would have been Chris Sale when I was with the White Sox. They sent him straight to high A ball. He was advanced. He was really close to being able to pitch in the big leagues because he commanded really good stuff. Not everybody's at that level. So they'll typically send them to rookie ball, which you'd go to. There's various rookie leagues. It's a, a lot of the high school kids will go to the complexes, the spring training sites in Arizona and Florida and play in front of no one. Literally no one. Sometimes 10, one, 10 o'clock in the morning, one in the afternoon, uh, and it could be it could be seven o'clock games. That's for sure. But uh, they typically won't touch you. They won't mess with you. They want to watch you pitch. They want to watch and see what you do. That's almost across the board with any prospect at that level. They'll be there. They're taking notes. They're trying to figure out what kind of player you are, how how your tools are going to play. Are you projectable? Can you play in the big leagues? Can you pitch in the big leagues? They're not going to change anything. They don't even know you, so they're not going to dive in and change things. The only time they would do that would be if they think you're going to, maybe it's something we need to grab now. The pitching coordinator and, and the farm director, everybody's on board, and, oh, yeah, we got to do it because he's going to get hurt. Well, you probably wouldn't have drafted a guy like that, but it does happen. Sometimes, uh, I remember one year with the White Sox, it was power arms, so we they drafted a lot of power arms and kind of maybe overlooked some mechanical flaws that, that a guy might have. Because they just, we just want stuff. That's just a philosophy that they took that year. And that's, that's, that's possible with any organization. But they typically won't change you the first year. Guys will go play their first or their first short season. They will get drafted in June, then go play short season ball till almost Labor Day. Then I believe uh, instructs are going on right now. Most instructs will go from maybe mid-September to mid to late October. Uh, that's an opportunity if they want to work on something and, and be a little more specific with you, then they'll grab you. Could be position change guys go to the instructional league. Prospects would certainly go to instructional league. Maybe a guy that didn't get enough innings was hurt and needs some work and needs to work on something. Maybe you need to work on a particular pitch. Hey, you need to work on your changeup. Well, you're going to throw a first pitch changeup to the first two hitters you see every inning in instructs. Because you're going to work on that pitch. It, they would go probably go about working with you in those ways as opposed to changing or messing with your delivery. Because you're a professional. You're getting paid by that organization. You're an employee. It's a business. They can suggest something that you do, but the numbers go on the back of your baseball card, not theirs. So you got to be completely on board for any change. It's your career. You do not have to do what they're asking you to do. Now, you run the risk of making people angry and possibly getting released. Absolutely. But I heard you mention one time, you know, people don't get out of bed and go, hey, I'm going to try and ruin this guy's career today. I want to help him. You're trying to help people. And you can get some really good information from the staffs in professional baseball. I think they're some of the best in the world. They're really, really good at it. But, you know, the kid's got to be open to it. The player has to be open to it. And I think that's with anything, even at our level. It's hard to force something. It's hard to force a change on a kid. Number one, if he's not failing, I'm succeeding. Look, I got a one point whatever Ernie and I'm I'm punching out this amount of guys. I'm not walking people. Why do you want to change me? Coach may have a valid reason, but the kid's probably not going to listen until he fails a little bit. But uh, in, in pro ball, it's ultimately going to be up to the kid. It's ultimately going to be up to the player because it's his career. It's not the staff. And, and, and the coaches and staff, they completely understand. They We at least did, understood that. That's It's your career, man. I can make a suggestion. It's on you to do it if you want. It's not me. Because, but it's on the kid too. The kid's got to produce the kid because there's another wave of guys coming in next year <laughs> and then another wave of that right the, the year after. And if you don't make steady progression, the numbers catch up with you. And then you typically don't get released because you can't do the job. I mean, it, it kind of is because you can't do the job. You get released because there's numbers, there's roster limits. I can only have so many pitchers. And while you're a really good pitcher, I like this guy better. And he's younger and he came in two years behind you and he's going to take that spot on that high A-ball roster this year. You're just the odd man out. I'm sorry. Good luck, and hopefully you can get on with another club that has a need. You know, that's that's the other thing, too. There has to be a need for what you do. And sometimes someone just may do something a little better than you. It may not be that you're inadequate and you're not good enough. It just maybe somebody does a little bit better than you at, at that particular level where, you know, at your stage of development. And so it's it's tricky. It's a business, 100%. And the other advice would be the, the kids, when you're playing, you don't don't even worry about why certain moves are made or why, how come he's going, how come he got moved up and I didn't and I have better numbers than him. Don't even sweat it. Don't even worry about it because you'll drive yourself crazy. You have absolutely no control over it. And <laughs> there's moves made for reasons other than ability and maybe logistics. Like we have a high team is here in Florida, and that's our rookie ball teams here. And 
uh, we're going to bring the guy over from rookie ball to cover the high ball game today because the guy that can't be here that's hurt is you know he's if we were to bring a guy in from somewhere in the midwest that's a plane ticket that's a hotel room when we got a guy right here in town he can just go sit over on the bench and cover some innings if he needs to and we can send him back there, there are different reasons guys get moved and there are different reasons for everything so i don't know i hope i answered that question yeah you did that's fantastic that's great well joe i'm actually out of questions but larry your information is just i mean uh my head is spinning right now and how interesting it is to talk to you i talk to coaches all the time but the knowledge that you're bringing to the table is so of a different level and it really shows your background and your expertise and what all i can think right now is how lucky those guys that play for you are right now to have you you haven't just been a coach I mean you're bringing so much more to the table and what a way for me to end the season of podcasts where this year my focus was wanting to reach coaches just because I felt like I could get to more arms if I started to try to go through coaches and this show has not only been unbelievable but wow getting to know you and to, to even experience this knowledge base that you have is unbelievable so my hat's off to you and wow your your boys are lucky boys they really are thank you no i I appreciate the opportunity and i've learned a lot from you over the years just the past i think it's been maybe a couple years i've listened to the podcast and um, i really like it i love it i mean it's tremendous value you you know it inside and out and it's i've learned a lot i have i've learned i've learned things from just listening to the podcast and talking to you that i've applied to our team and so it's it's certainly helped us so i I thank you. Thank you a ton. Thank you and Joe for doing this because this is a good, it's a great podcast. It's a great, great venue, great avenue for, you know, for young kids and, and coaches and hell, anybody, baseball enthusiasts, pitching enthusiasts to, to, to listen and just listen to some ideas and listen to what you have to, to share. It's incredible. It's incredible information. Well, thank you so much. That is great. And I, we appreciate so much your coming on the show today. And I can't wait till this gets published and we spread it around. It's uh, valuable, really valuable. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much, Larry. I could sit here and talk to you all day, and, and <laughs> but I think it's time to, to cut it off. Um, Doesn't matter to me. Oh, thank you so much. I, really, well, I think we definitely should have you on again some point next season. That'd be great. It'd be great. I'd love to. Yeah, this this was so great. Thank you so much, Larry. That's it for episode 14, and that's it for season four of Baseball Pitching the Fix. Thanks so much for listening to the show this season. We'll be back next spring with season five. If this was the first time you've ever heard the show, go to the App Store, search for Baseball Pitching the Fix, download our app, and you'll have access to all past episodes and be notified when we kick off season five. And if you want to learn more about Angel and what she does with pitchers, visit her website, gymscience.com, G-Y-M-S-C-I-E-N-C-E.com. If you want to learn more about me, you can go to fixingpitchers.com or you can interact with me on Twitter at fixingpitchers. We hope you enjoy the offseason and we wish you safe and effective performance on the pitching mound.